Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. It was the short trip to Westminster Abbey, the one last tour of London, and then the road to Windsor Castle. Today, Queen Elizabeth II will be laid to rest. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you guys. 833-GOT-TONY. That is the number. 833-468-8669. Be a part of the show. Feel free. Happy to have you around. Lot of luck at Queen Elizabeth. And questions about where this royal family goes, I can appreciate that. Because we create drama around... The, the royal family. I don't think there's any drama when you've seen that Harry and Meghan made their choice. William and Kate made theirs. I'm going to go make my choice and tell them to live their lives and I wish them the very best. But the spectacle of this funeral is, 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 is something else. Things like this don't happen every day. Things like Joe Biden... On CBS, with just casual drops in an interview with Scott Pelley of 60 Minutes saying, oh yeah, COVID, uh, COVID's over. Mr. President, first Detroit auto show in three years. Yeah. Is the pandemic over? The pandemic is over. We still have a problem with COVID. We're still doing a lot of work on it. Uh, it's, but the pandemic is over. If you notice, no one's wearing masks. Everybody seems to be in pretty good shape. And so I think it's changing, and I think this is a perfect example of it. Mr. President, first... I can't... It's over? That's insane! If only because we've known it's been over for a year now. (laughs) We, We have been fully aware that the entirety... Of COVID is over. We're living our lives. We've needed our kids back in school, and you have fought us every step of the way. Now, a month before an election, COVID is over? Come on now. Do you not? Do you not understand that we see you? That how could this be anything but election claptrap? And that you say it like so matter like 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 so like yeah yeah it's over but you know we still got some work to do but fair lives got ruined then again what do i say to somebody who doesn't even think inflation's bad mr president as you know last tuesday the annual inflation rate came in at 8.3 percent the stock market nosedived people are shocked by their grocery bills. What can you do better and faster? Well, first of all, let's put this in perspective. Inflation rate month to month was just uh, 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 just an inch, hardly at all. You're not arguing that 8.3 is good news. No, I'm not saying it's good news, but it was 8.2 or 8.2 before. I mean, it's not, you're, maybe I can make it sound like all of a sudden, my God, it went to 8.2%. It was 8.2 or 8.2 before he is he is precious. This is absolutely the intellectual proudness that that uh, that we've all come to to desire in a president uh, uh, of the United States. It was nine point one, then eight point five, then eight point three. 
By the way, I just did a full Biden because I said prowess as opposed to prowess. And I was like, wait a second, I didn't say that right. You see, I correct myself and it happens rarely. It happens with him all the time and if you correct him, well, somehow you're the problem. Good Lord. That, the year-over-year year numbers was 9.1 to 8.5 to 8.3. And you can argue, hey, look, year-over-year, year, the inflation's going down. But inflation in the month of August went up, even though year-over-year year it's down because inflation was already higher a year ago. CPI, Consumer Price Index, on the core went up 0.6%. It isn't a blip. And he wants you to believe that it's just a blip. Three is good news. No, I'm not saying it is good news, but it was 8.2 or 8.2 before. I mean, it's not, you're, maybe I can make it sound like all of a sudden, my God, it went to 8.2%. It's, been, it's the highest inflation rate, Mr. President, in 40 years. I got that. But guess what we are? We're in a position where for the last several months it hasn't spiked. It has just barely, it's been basically even. Mr. President, as you know. Basically even is... A really hateful thing to say to the American people. And this is all in the same interview. First, the the pandemic is over. Then, you know, hey, uh, inflation isn't a big deal. And then, oh, yeah, by the way, war with, with China, cool by me. What should Chinese President Xi know about your commitment to Taiwan? We agree with what we signed on to a long time ago. And that there's a one-China policy, and Taiwan makes their own judgments about their independence. We are not moving, we're not encouraging them being independent. We're not, let, that's their decision. But would U.S. forces defend the island? Yes, if in fact there was an unprecedented attack. After our interview, a White House official told us U.S. policy has not changed. Officially, the U.S. will not say whether American forces would defend Taiwan. But the commander-in-chief had a view of his own. So unlike Ukraine, to be clear, sir, U.S. forces, U.S. men and women, would defend Taiwan in the event of a Chinese invasion? Yes. Okay. Now, the United States has a policy regarding China of strategic ambiguity. We don't come out and say this, we don't come out and say that, but we don't not come out and say this and say that. And when Biden said this in May, like late May of this year, I said, you know what, I actually love this stuff. I love it because I believe that we need to fight, uh, we need to push back on anything that... uh that China does or or says. They're not in charge of anything. We can decide who our friends are. And let them get a little bit freaked out that we would be there for Taiwan. But you can't fail to recognize the mistake that it is to double down on this concept. If indeed your objective is to not poke at China. If the objective is to poke at China, well, okay. And we certainly have done that in some military fashions as we've engaged our own ships in certain waterways. But holy McMackerel, it is... It is something different to to commit your, your nation to war 
while the White House, not you, the White House, your people are coming on the backside to say, that's not really what he meant. Holy cow. Holy cow. That's a, that's a, that's a move right there. And that move is the problem. Now, unfortunately, I can't find the clip. I was on News Nation uh, last night. And, and, and having this exact conversation, the, the interview had just happened, so I was like, okay, we need rapid response. All right, I'm, I'm in. I'm, I'm totally down for this. You don't understand what a bad leadership look this is? You don't understand how bad this looks when the President of the United States says, yes, we will uh, stand up for Taiwan, and the White House says, well, you know, um, that's a bad look. That is bad leadership. And this happens with this president again and again and again. I'm reminded of a clip, uh, Dana Perino on, on Fox News. I, I said at the time that I, I thought this was the most um, astute observation I had seen on on Biden in in a long time. It was Dana Perino. Uh, t- this was March. This is March of 2022. Talking with Larry Kudlow on his show on Fox Business, and this idea of the White House coming back and saying, "Well, what the president really meant, what the president was really saying," and there were stories at the time that this was bothering President Biden. This was upsetting him. This is what Dana Perino had to say. I thought this was one of the most more astute uh, political observations uh, I've heard in in, in a while. It was from the heart, and the White House took less than 10 minutes to get walkbacks (laughs) to reporters. Seriously, there's uh, there's White House reporters that had walked the walkback from five different aides within 10 minutes. You've worked at a White House. Do you think that the communications team was able to go to the president after his speech in Poland and say, Mr. President, you just said these nine words. Did you mean to say those? Mm-hmm. And if he says, yes, I did, then you deal with it. I don't think they asked him. So now wow. he's in this position Even where we worse. have weakened the president on the world stage. And maybe he shouldn't have said what he said. But then he said, but then I think they go a step further when they say he's speaking in his personal capacity. That is ridiculous. This is a speech on the world stage, the most important speech so far of Biden's in Poland, in, on the world stage where everybody's watching, the adversaries, your allies, your military, your moms and dads. And at the end, you say this line, and then the White House tries to say he was speaking in his personal capacity. Mm-hmm. Do you remember when they said that about Rochelle Walensky of the CDC? Yes. When she yes. said that about the schools? You, you're not allowed to do that. When the backdrop says CDC, and you're speaking in front of it, that is not your personal capacity. I- she was referring to a speech that, that Biden gave where at the end he said, my God, he's talking about Vladimir Putin, this man cannot be allowed to remain in power. Words to that effect. And it, it I, I, this was an unbelievably good observation about this idea of, do you think they went to him? No, they're undercutting him. 
yeah, Biden says this, but we who are in charge, we're, we're telling you this. Who the hell are you in charge? No one voted for you. I'm not so sure 81 million people voted for him, but I guarantee you nobody voted for you. It's some, some flunky in the back room there writing up nonsense speeches. Nobody wrote, nobody voted for you. You don't count. You're there to get Biden's ice cream. You have no other purpose. Dear Lord. I know some people at least voted for Biden. So this is, I think, far worse than they're playing it. I think Perino had it dead to rights in March, and I think she's got it dead to rights now. But I think this might have been the one over everything that has most people saying, I'm sorry, what did you say? Sir, are you committed to running again, or are there certain conditions that have to be right? Look, if I were to say to you, I'm running again, all of a sudden, a whole range of things come into play that I have uh, requirements I have to change and move and do. In terms of election laws. In terms of election laws. And it's much too early to make that kind of decision. I'm a great respecter of fate. And so what I'm doing is I'm doing my job. I'm going to do that job. And within the time frame that makes sense after this next election cycle here, going into next year, make a judgment of what to do. You say that it's much too early to make that decision. I take it the decision has not been made in your own head. Look, my intention, as I said to begin with, is that I would run again. But it's just an intention. But is it a firm decision that I've run again? That remains to be seen. Sir, are you... That's nuts. Because just a few months ago, Biden was upset that people weren't taking him seriously when he said that he was going to run again. Now, all of a sudden, it's up for debate? In a rational world, this would be two full weeks of stories talking about chaos in the Biden White House. Because this is chaos. Committing America to supporting Taiwan in a violent exchange with China. And the White House is walking it back, declaring the pandemic over when the CDC and Dr. Anthony Fauci may not very well agree with you, telling Americans that the inflation isn't so bad. Then getting into this whole conversation uh, that people disapprove of me because, you know, uh, they're psychologically unable to be happy. Your approval rating in the country is well below 50%. And I wonder why you think that is. This is a really difficult time. We're at an inflection point in the history of this country. We're going to make decisions and we're making decisions now that are going to determine what we're going to look like in the next 10 years from now. I think you'd agree that the impact on the psyche of the American people as a consequence of the pandemic is profound. Think of how that has changed everything. The people's attitudes about themselves, their families, about the state of the nation, about the state of their communities. And so there's a lot of uncertainty out there, a great deal of uncertainty. So the uncertainty is why people disapprove of you? Maybe it's because you don't believe in inflation. Maybe because you're committing the country to war against China. Or or maybe uh, because you ruined people's lives through unnecessary lockdowns when we knew it wasn't working. 
and you could have done something about it, but you'd rather tie yourself to the teachers union and keep the lockdowns going, specifically with schools, and it damaged our kids in a way that we can't quite properly calculate. This speech has everything in it that makes you go, what the hell? It shows nothing but confusion, nothing but scattered shot ideas and and thoughts. It is stunning. And you know what the White House is going to answer questions about? What fascist you are? Trump and fascism, fascism and Trump. That's all they're going to talk about. Oh, a little bit of racism sprinkled in there. And you wonder why people don't trust the media either. Thank goodness for talk radio. I'm a writer, I'm a right. I'm Tony Katz. Dow is down 65, Nasdaq is down 51, which is better than where they were at in the in the pre-market. They were down, I think it was down like 250, wasn't it? Dow was down uh, uh, 250 right there. Crypto took another punch in the face. You had uh, Bitcoin down to, I think it was like 18,000. Uh, Ethereum down to 1,300. Slowly working its way back up. Honestly, I don't know. I won't lie. I, I never lie. I, I purchased some crypto in the dip, not Bitcoin. I uh, did not purchase Bitcoin. Uh, I, I am not a, a holder there. Ethereum, yes. Um, a couple things. If I'm not discussing it, I don't bring it up. Uh, in in I I have basic ideas and theories about you know a basic understanding of what's going on. Some things I'm still learning about. Some things I'm absolutely engaged in a touch of speculation on. I I, I totally and wholeheartedly uh, agree with that. I'm just a believer in in digital currency, decentralized currency. I am not a believer in the White House talking about a digital currency. The answer to this is no. And there's a whole paper out about the technical possibilities for a U.S. central bank digital currency. If there's a digital currency, then, you well, you don't need cash anymore because we'll have a digital currency. And then every transaction you have is monitored. Every purchase is being checked by the government. And they'll decide you've purchased enough of this and you, you haven't purchased enough kale. Anybody who's okay with this is just wrong. Ah, we're the millennial generation. We, it just doesn't matter to us. Well, then you're a bunch of damn fools, and I'd appreciate it if you'd stop being schmucks. And if you're going to be schmucks, okay, just don't vote. Is that okay? Millennials and anybody else like this. It just feels like we're completely overrun and we've lost control of everything. At least I know that, that, that here it's, you're helpless. You're helpless. And, and those people that say that we don't have a problem, you come live in Eagle Pass for a few weeks and you'll see it. And you'll understand how awful and insecure it feels. I've been a member of the community for over 50 years. I'm a second generation owner to a barbecue business in town that it's called the Wagon Wheel. We are off the main highway. I also have a property as well that's been in the family for over 26 years. The Wagon Wheel is closing because of the multiple break-ins taking place to the restaurant, which exists 
in a border town. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Not Martha's Vineyard. Not Washington, D.C. This aren't border towns. Eagle Pass. Look it up. Eagle Pass, Texas. And just look it up on a map. You have to know where these things are. You have to know how it works. Understand how serious the issue is. Eagle Pass is right there on the river. We're talking about to the southwest of San Antonio. An actual border town with the border of a town in Mexico called Piedras Negras. And in Eagle Pass, this little barbecue place can't stay open. It's the fault of the business owner, you say. Hmm. That's an interesting, interesting take. Tell us more, business owner. And I've just, not only has my business been broken into and ran, ransacked, it's just the insecurity now, you know? You don't feel safe at home anymore. I worked alongside my father um, for 19 years. One break-in in 25 years. From February to now, I've had five. I, I, I don't know how to secure my building enough to keep these people away. That's the border. So now, uh, Vice President Harris or President Biden or anybody else who thinks uh, that somehow they understand the issue, what is she supposed to do? Well, that's right. You don't give a damn about her because she's not in Martha's Vineyard or D.C. or Chicago or New York. You only care when the problem is put on your doorstep. That's obvious. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. It's good uh, to be with you guys. Uh, I over the weekend turned a corner on this because if if you know me if you know the show at all i try very very hard to be able to engage in a conversation in a way um where i'm i understand your anger your frustration i never want to be more angry or more frustrated than, than you i consider that a rudeness and to try and not be the person who is dismissive it's one of the reasons I never use dumb or stupid, or I very, very rarely use dumb or stupid in, in conversation or talking about somebody because that ends conversation. The people who want to talk about immigration and claim uh, that they're all about sanctuary cities and they're good and kind and decent, and the minute you see people distributed to sanctuary cities, uh, it's how dare you and your human trafficking. Yeah, those people are garbage. Those people are virtue signaling garbage, and I don't give a damn whether they like me, whether they listen, whether they agree. They're just wrong, and they should be ashamed of who they are. Everybody on Martha's Vineyard who was putting up those signs that we are, we celebrate community and we love everybody and we would gladly be a sanctuary city. 50 people and you freaked the blank out. You freaked out. You are unserious, virtue signaling garbage people. You deserve on this subject all the derision you get and so does Mayor Lightfoot and so does Mayor Eric Adams of New York and so does Mayor Bowser of D.C., We've taken in 8,000 migrants in D.C. We can't handle this. You're a metro of 700,000. Eagle Pass has what? 30,000 people and they get 10,000 people a week? 
El Paso has illegal immigrants sleeping in the streets because the shelters can't hold any more people. They don't have the infrastructure either. You're upset that a bus with air conditioning that feeds people takes them somewhere else? You're out of your head. You don't have an argument. And I've had some people decide they no longer listen to the show because they think it's it's inhumane. It's not inhumane. You're ridiculous. I want to burn the bridge on this subject because it is exhausting and it is rude and is despicable what is being said. That it's inhumane for a person to go from Texas to Martha's Vineyard? You know what? Now that I think about it, maybe. I think it's inhumane that we just lost a barbecue business. By the way, I'm going to reach out. Uh, Eat, drink, smoke is going to reach out to her. I don't think I can get her to move out of Texas. But if she wants to come to Indiana, uh, I'm all in with helping her build a business. I may not be able to get her enough dollars to build the business. But I don't don't want this for anybody. I live in Indiana. Me, I I want more barbecue places in Indiana. We've got good ones, all right, right? So so I, I don't rank them. I don't rank them, but I have two. I've got my two spots, right? So I, I, if you've listened to me for half a second, Hank smoked briskets uh, on on uh, on MLK, right, just south of of the Newfields Museum. Um, Hank, Hank should be a freaking institution. There should be Hank smoked briskets day. He does a fine brisket. What he does, and I haven't been in a while. I I'm due for a trip back, uh, and I'm writing a book about uh, barbecue. I need I need to do an interview with him. Uh, smoked corned beef. If you haven't had, if you're ever in Indianapolis, you go to Hank's. There are no seats at Hank's. There are no seats at Hank's. Um, But the smoked corned beef at Hank's is simply brilliant. Not good. Not great. It's brilliant. Not brilliant. It is the best I've ever had. And by the way, I think it's the only place I've ever tasted it uh, or even anything come close to it. There's good corned beef out there. There's nothing like this. Nothing. That's how good Hank's Smoked Briskets is. Uh, Hank's Smoked Briskets and uh, his smoked corned beef. And I, I don't even know if they're open today. I don't think they're usually open on Monday. Uh, maybe. Uh, but go tomorrow. Oh, oh my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Uh, and, and the other one is uh, in a place called, uh, a town called Westfield, north of Indianapolis, Big Hoffa's. Uh, they, they're, what a success story. Uh, that that place is, I think they do an incredibly good brisket. I think they do very good ribs. I think they do very, very good ribs. Uh, so those are those are my two spots. But you know what? We'll take a third. We'll take What? They can handle competition. They'll probably be like, welcome. How can we help? Oh, yeah. Big Hoffa's on, on 32 in Westfield. I, 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 I can get there in my sleep, hang smoke briskets, and then, and then we'll bring up the wagon wheel. Her whole business has been torn to, to shreds because of illegal immigration. And you want me to worry about what's going on in Martha's Vineyard? To hell with the people in Martha's Vineyard. They're virtue signaling liars. I don't want to be kind to them. I want to burn the bridge. I want to build a bridge to the wagon wheel and help a barbecue restaurant grow and thrive and survive. I want to burn the bridge to virtue signalers who don't give a good damn about what happens to the rest of the country. The mayor of El Paso... It's an interesting story because the mayor of El Paso has said some things that will make you say, oh, like, for example, did you know that the mayor of El Paso is a Democrat? 
This is a very important piece of information. His name is Oscar Leeser. I think it's pronounced Leeser. L-E-E-S-E-R. It could just be pronounced Lesser. The 52nd mayor um, of El Paso. He was the mayor from 2013 to 2017. And um, uh, then he got reelected in 2021. He's a Democrat. Two things to know about Oscar. Oscar signed a $2 million contract. I should say Mayor Lesser. Be respectful. Mayor Lesser has signed a $2 million contract, according to Bill Malugan of Fox News. That $2 million contract is with a bus company to send illegal immigrants to New York. So it's a little bit more than just Greg Abbott, the the governor, being this ruthless, terrible, horrible, heartless person. Nope, Democrats are doing it. But why? Oh, this is so good. He sent the migrants to New York to help them. You see, this is where they wanted to go, so he's just helping them along. Isn't he such a good man? No, no, no. Let the Democratic Party attack the Democratic mayor for just trying to help these people. Remember, the people in Martha's Vineyard said they wanted to help, and then when they were asked to help, when the moment came, they said, oh, oh, it's too scary. That's That was literally it. That was literally it. The, the, I actually have exclusive audio of uh, the moment where the illegal immigrants got to Martha's Vineyard, uh, exclusive audio of the citizens there, the residents of Martha's Vineyard. Oh, God! That, that, was, that was it right there. That was, that was exactly what what they said. I also have uh, uh, this. This was overheard. Ew, David. And then... Um, so, just some of the things overheard at, at Martha's Vineyard. What I found interesting about the mayor's comments was not that he's sending them to New York to help them get to their destination. That's just awesome. No, it's this line. The people are not coming to El Paso. They're coming to America. And that's something that's really important. Guys, we discussed this in depth last week. That if the Republican Party had any brains, which they don't, this would be the conversation piece. That people making this thousand-mile trek, go check the tape, baby. We said it last week. You and me, like we were sitting on the bar stool, drinking a bourbon, smoking a cigar. This was the conversation. Because every rational person has had this conversation. They just didn't, maybe didn't have it out loud. That in the back of their head. They had it casually at, at the kitchen table or at the dinner table. They casually had it at the bar stool. These people want to come to America. And they take this 1,000-mile trek. Maybe it's 470 miles. Maybe it's 1,630 miles. Let's just call it a 1,000-mile trek just for the sake of a number. They take this 1,000-mile trek that is incredibly dangerous. Not to get to El Paso. It's to get to the United States of America. So for what reason... Is America not involved in being part of the solution?
Why would Martha's Vineyard or Chicago or D.C. or New York or your town or my beloved Indianapolis, why would anybody think that they're not a part of this? Of course you're a part of this. Of course you are a part of this. You are not excluded. You are not special. Don't tell me about your lack of infrastructure. The wagon wheel used to have an infrastructure, and then it got destroyed. And now they can't run a restaurant. As Griff Jenkins explained beautifully on Fox over the weekend, oh, this is so good. People are making a very treacherous journey to the U.S., I have spent the last several years exposing the crisis on our border, reporting on this show. We covered the hundreds of thousands in Eagle Pass, Del Rio, El Paso, La Jolla, all of RGV. We went into the migrant camps in Tijuana, Juarez, Matamoros, Reynosa, Nuevo Laredo. We reported from Mexico's southern border in Tapachula multiple times. It's wide open. I traveled 7,000 miles from Honduras to Eagle Pass in a caravan twice. And we reported from the depths of the Darien Gap in the most dangerous Panamanian jungle where migrants cross in a rock and raped and killed. Last month, I watched a migrant drowned in the Rio Grande. This border has never in the history of our country ever been more uh, more, uh, unsecure and the dangers to the migrants greater. The number the administration doesn't want you to focus on is 750 plus. That's how many migrants have died making this journey. And when I spoke to that Venezuelan migrant, Wazir Khan, on Thursday, he said the border is open. We're all coming illegally because... We can come. That is the pull factor that is bringing these people. This administration is putting migrants in greater danger than they have ever been, and they are coming because they know when they get here, they can stay. And that is the problem. That is what the administration does not want you to see, what we've been showing on this show for years now, and it is not what they want to talk about. And yet it took 50 migrants dumped in a billionaire's backyard to get the country talking about it incredibly good analysis from Griff, who has actually done the yeoman's work. And this is why I'm willing to burn some bridges. I will not listen to people tell me that this is uh, an an affront and, and, and inhumane. To hell with those people. What's happening on this trek is an affront and inhumane, and we have an administration that encourages it or certainly doesn't stop it, doesn't cut it off. If we cared about people at all, we would. If Martha's Vineyard Vineyard cared about people, they would say, what, you're only sending 50? Send another 200. We've got a lot of spare rooms. We've got a lot of guest houses. We got you covered. They didn't do that. So I'm not interested in the people who claim goodness and don't actually provide it. I'm happy to burn that bridge to the ground and call them the virtue signaling liars that they are. DeSantis, Abbott, and Ducey have done the right thing here. Now let's get Congress to do the right thing and engage some legislation that starts with a zero tolerance policy on illegal immigration and making sure that those who want to be Americans and follow the law get the opportunity to do so. The more immigrants, the merrier. I'm Tony Katz. Just a quick follow-up on the whole uh, immigration story and Martha's Vineyard story. Martha's Vineyard. You know, uh, somebody put together a GoFundMe Urgent plea to help Martha's Vineyard migrants. And it raised $43,000. And it's not going to illegal immigrants. 
it's going to something called the MV, meaning Martha's Vineyard Community Foundation, to distribute to the organizations with the most need. That nonprofit has a $16 million fund, according to the reporting from the Daily Mail. Tell me again how these are the best people. I'm sure there are some people in Martha's Vineyard just lovely, but they don't look good in this. They look woke. They look virtue signaling. They deserve our derision, and they're going to get it. This is Tony Katz today.